The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. Good morning. So, when you ship something or if you receive it in the mail, there is one thing that you cannot avoid. It has to fit in the box, correct? You have to get everything that you want in that box or else it's not going. Or you can get a bigger box and it needs to fit in that box, correct? That's just the most basic thing about shipping and receiving things is that it has to fit inside the box. Now, I don't know if this is just my personality type, but I get a lot of satisfaction if you can fit everything into one of these flat rate boxes you know, and it's just stuffed totally full and there's just a little bit almost even of a bulge. You're like, I hope I can get away with that. And it goes and it passes and you're like, all right, I saved $10. Congratulations. So uh, maybe that's just me, but I find that to be very satisfying. Um, Now I'm told that no matter who you are, you, me, especially kids, we like boundaries We really like to know the confines of where we like to work and think and exist. We need these boundaries. It's healthy. But when you and I think about God, does he need boundaries? Does he need a box today? Do we put God in a box sometimes? What limitations do we put on God? Do we do that? That's the question that I kind of want you to be thinking about all morning is what limitations do you put on God? Do you? Are there areas of your life where you don't let him in? Are there things that are happening in your life that maybe you're not considering asking God's help with? which maybe he could? Are there things that you just wouldn't consider asking him at all? Do we put limitations on him? And I know that's maybe a strange question in a church setting, as I would guess most of you are like me. When I ask that question, even of myself, I think, well, I don't put any limitations on God. God can do anything. I believe that God can do anything. I hope that you're like that. You know, I think he can. Of course we think he can do anything. And that's maybe where we find ourselves today. So we are jumping into our series called Miracles. And we're going to continue reading about the supernaturally personal God, Jesus. He's the one who was the word at the beginning in creation. He is God but yet he came here personally. And so as we read about the life of Jesus, as we read about his life, this Jesus is described by his friend John. And he performed miracles. And they're supernatural. But every time he did so, it demands a response. It demands a response. And so as we jump in, I just want to ask, are you ready today? Are you ready? 
All right, John chapter four, come with me to John chapter four. We will be in verse 46, reading about the second sign that John records uh, from the life of Jesus. Verse 46, it says this, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana where he turned water into wine. And there was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. And when he had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. So whenever we read scripture, one of my favorite things is not just to preach the word, it's to help all of us learn how to study the scripture, even if I wasn't there teaching you. But if you're reading it on your own, there's a huge tip that I have, especially if you're in the gospels. When you get to a new section, like there's those little headings in your Bible, pay attention to those first couple of verses. There is almost always a ton of information of context that John or whoever the author is, but God himself wants you to know. There's all kinds of details that we need to pay attention at the beginning of these stories that mean so much. And so what do we see here as we begin this story? Verse 46 says, as he traveled. So Jesus is actually in the middle of something larger. He's already traveling places. He's already started his ministry and he's in the middle of a trip. He's already been traveling. So we're picking up this story. He was coming from Jerusalem, the largest city in Israel, the most important city in Israel. And Jerusalem was in kind of the state or the region of Judea. The larger region was called Judea. And so Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee, also another region. It'd kind of be like me saying, I went from Tennessee to Indiana. It's sort of helpful but we might want a little more specifics. And we get those specifics. John tells us again that he not only went to Galilee, but he came to Cana. If you were with us last week, I tried to perform an authentic miracle right here on our stage. And if you recall, you might need to go check that out on video. You can learn about the water into wine miracle at Cana. You'll have to check that out yourself. So um, anyway, we learned that Cana is a small town. It is a small town of small towns. It doesn't even exist anymore in that everybody knew everybody because that's how small towns work. It's how they work then. It's how they work now. Everyone knows everybody. And everybody knows when there's someone who doesn't belong in that small town. And that might just be exactly what we find here. There is somebody who showed up in Cana who doesn't really belong in Cana. It's a government official. Now, I realize there are some of you that may be arguing, those government officials don't belong in any town, you know, not just Cana. So no one likes their government officials. That's kind of got a bad rap for all time. But here we see there's a government official. It was no different there. The Jews would not have appreciated their government officials. Now, we actually know in some translations say not only is this a government official, but this is a royal government official. That's important. It's important to know who this person was that was asking for help from Jesus. See, this official worked for the king. 
Now, in the first century where Jesus lived in Israel and most of the known world, it was occupied by Rome. Rome was the superpower. Rome had control of virtually everything. So Caesar was the most important. And then Caesar had people underneath him. He had kings in certain regions that ruled his kingdom. And here there was a king by the name of Herod Antipas. King Herod Antipas. He ruled Israel. And this is significant because the Jews did not like him. They had lots of reasons not to like him. He served the interest of Rome, not the interest of Israel. And they didn't want him in charge. They didn't want want anybody from Rome in charge over them. So that is who was in charge. But what's very fascinating is that King Herod's own father, you may know this person, he was King Herod the Great. He was the king when Jesus was born. And if you know the story, we tell it at Christmas time every year, King Herod the Great was threatened that there was another king coming in and he had all the baby boys in Bethlehem killed. He tried to kill Jesus. This is the same family. And so you have a person who serves that family coming to Jesus. This is very important to know, is it not? Very important to know. And this guy, King Herod Antipas, even killed John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin. He had him beheaded. They did not like them, especially in Galilee. It would almost be like, if you could imagine this, a royal Russian official today. If he was in Ukraine, went to a Ukrainian doctor begging for help right now. It's not exactly the same thing, but if you could imagine with me, this is the kind of hatred possibly that would have existed in this situation. This is significant. And when I see another detail here in verse 47, it says that he, this official, begged Jesus See, that was unlike the royalty, unlike those kings and their officials. They were the ones that got to tell the people around them what to do. You do this, you do that. But here, this official is begging Jesus. I need you. I am begging you. And he's begging him specifically. Can you come with me? And all of it leads us to something we see in this official and we see the people around exactly the box that they put God in. They put God in a box. This official has put Jesus in a box. It's not necessarily a bad box. It's not even necessarily a small box. This official put Jesus in a box. He believed something specific about Jesus, that Jesus could heal my sick son, and I need to go get Jesus. And so he goes after Jesus. But you can see he does limit Jesus just a little bit. There's one detail. He says, I need you to come with me. He believes that Jesus has to come and go heal his son. That is what he thinks. And there's a bunch of other people hanging around Jesus at this point. John tells us at the very end of his book in John 21, that Jesus did so many things in his life that he couldn't even record all of the things that he did. 
And so when we get to this story, this miracle, it's actually not the second miracle that Jesus did. He did lots of miracles that weren't even recorded. It's only the second one that John records. And so when Jesus is coming from Jerusalem and going to Galilee, he presumably had done all kinds of other things. And that's how this other man has heard about him. People know about Jesus. Jesus is a big deal. People have put Jesus in a box, whether that's big or small, but people have their thoughts and their opinions about Jesus and they keep them to themselves and they have them. Well, what is that box? It kind of depends on who you are. We already talked about the official. He knows what he thinks about Jesus. He's powerful. He can heal my son, but I need him there. There are other people there at Cana. I would say there would be one kind of person in the crowd, maybe lots of them that had this opinion. I can't wait to see what Jesus is going to do to this Herodian official. He's just going to go, see ya. Because <laughs> that's how we think of this guy. We need him to kick him out and say, I am sorry about your son. I've got lots of other stuff to do. I'm sure there were those people in the crowd. There's probably other people in the crowd who thought, you know, I'm not really into politics these days. I don't get in between the Romans and the Jews. It's not my thing. But I got a front row seat to this really cool miracle show. <laughs> I signed up for that. I, want, I can't wait to see what's going on. That's why I'm here. And then you have the official who is begging Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Like so many situations, Jesus has all of these very different opposing expectations on his shoulders. What could he possibly do for all of them? It seems very unreasonable. Verse 48, Jesus asks, Will you never believe me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? And the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. So just a second here. Did Jesus just say that to a man whose son is about to die? That doesn't seem very sensitive, very Jesus-like to me. <laughs> Are you never going to believe in me? Well, there's a detail in the Greek that helps us understand. He said that to the man, but he kind of said that to all of them. In English, when we say you, it can mean you, or it could mean you. And since Jesus is in Cana, you know, he's out in the country, he's using the y'all version of you, Y'all. So this is y'all. Jesus says, will y'all never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs? So yes, he's talking to this man, but he's really talking to everyone. Will y'all? Jesus says, I see your boxes. And your box, no matter who you are, if you're this man or if you're y'all, it doesn't really matter. I see you. And all of you only will believe in me if you see. That's what you're waiting for. 
You're waiting for me to do something, and that is the box you're putting me in. If I go, if I do this, you're waiting for me to do that. And here's the thing, it's really easy for us to come to this text and to see all of these limitations that other people have about God. Man, I can really see the box that this guy puts God in or this crowd over here. It's really easy for us to see how other people put God in a box. It's really hard to see how we do it. Do we put limitations on God? In what ways do we, when we pray or when we ask God, try to offer him a few suggestions <laughs> like this official? Jesus, I know you can heal my son. I believe that you can. You have the power to do it. But I would suggest, God, that you come over to Capernaum with me to go do that. See that? Do we do the same thing? Have you ever prayed prayers like this? God, I know you're going to provide for me. So this job right here is the job that I want right now. Or, God, I know you want me to be happy and have a life of joy. Could you find a person for me to spend the rest of my life with that looks like that and does those things? I'd really appreciate it. God, there's this situation that's really hard and, and I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. I have some conflict with this person and it's really complicated, God, but you know all the details. Can you just like fix it? And I have some ideas. If you want my, my advice, God, I could tell you how to fix it. I know exactly what, to, what needs to happen. Resolve this hardship. Do this thing. We pray this way too. But what we really need to do is to get out of that box. We have to trust God has something bigger, something different. We have to get out of that box. But how do we get out of that box? Well, verse 50, Jesus tells this official, go home. Go home and your son will live. Okay? So Jesus confronts this man and he brings him to the brink of what he believes, the edge of his box. He takes him to the edge, it is full. And he says, I'm gonna need you to get out of that box because I can do this if you go home first. I don't know if you knew that, but I'm gonna ask you to go home. He brings him to the edge where his faith goes all the way. And Jesus says, I want you to go further. Now, if that was me, if I'm this official, and I already had the audacity to go into Cana where all these people didn't like me, to go to Jesus and beg when I don't normally beg, and I believed in a person that could heal, I think I've done quite a bit. Now, can't you do your part, God? Let's go. If it was me, I would say, okay, Jesus, I know you're a big deal. So Capernaum is a while away. It's going to take me a long time to walk there. Could you stay here in Cana while I go to Capernaum so in case my son's not healed yet, I can come back and I know where to find you? Sound good, Jesus? That's what I would say. <laughs> I don't want him to go back to Jerusalem or somewhere else where I can't find him. I want to know where he is in case this doesn't work. What does he do? The man believed what Jesus said and started home. The man believed. The man took Jesus at his word. This is true faith. This is 
belief that is stretched, that is pushed to the limit, that is stepping out of the box that Jesus works. And so he lives it out and his faith grew in that moment. He didn't know he had another gear, but he took it. So I have a little exercise for you. Um, I have a picture on the screen here. It's of nine dots. And if I did this accurately, I would have actually had you all prepared with a pencil and a piece of paper, and you could all be trying this. So you're going to have to try this on your phone or at home or later, whenever. So the challenge is to connect all nine dots somehow with four lines. Don't pick up your pen. That's not allowed. Can you connect them all? Has anyone ever done this before? A couple people? You're really excited. You're like nudging your neighbor. You're like, I know how to do this. Watch this. There is a solution. There's a way to connect all nine dots. And so if you do it and you get frustrated, you're like, this is not right. I can't do it. Well, here's the solution. You got to get outside the box. Maybe you can find the rules and you interpreted them how I said them. I never said you couldn't go past the dots to connect them all. That's the solution, okay? That's how you do it. So you can have that little trick at work. It's really cool. You can use that all week if you'd like. But I just told you to get out of the box and some of you probably still didn't know how to solve that problem. See, that's not how it works. Me telling you, get out of your box. That doesn't do it. That's not how we are creative. That's not how we're going to get more faith by just telling ourselves, do it. Have more faith. Get out of your comfort zone. Make it happen. That's not how it works. When we face problems at home, when we face problems at work, just telling ourselves isn't going to solve it. What happens is life happens and situations happen and difficulty comes and God brings you to something that you have to do. I've heard it said that you're either in a crisis right now, everyone here, you're either in a crisis or about to have one. It's real encouraging today. You're welcome. <laughs> but it's true. You know, I didn't ask to get up at 3 a.m. this morning and have some little people join me in the bed. I wanted to sleep a little longer to be ready to teach today, but that wasn't what was going to happen. I'm grateful that everyone's safe in our community, but um, I didn't get asked if that was going to happen. <laughs> and crises come in our life, and they don't come politely. They come, and they come quickly. They wreck things in your life. They break stuff. They break you. They don't pick and choose, and they don't ask you. And his official, this official and his son never asked for this hardship to come in their life. And so I credit him for getting way out of his comfort zone, taking huge steps of faith and seeking Jesus and asking him, begging him, to do something and then taking those steps outside of his already defined box. You know, for those of you that feel like you're hot stuff and you're like, I know all about Andrew's nine dot illustration, I've got a challenge for you. 
Can you connect all nine dots with one line? Don't lift up your pen. It has to be straight. You talk about really getting outside the box. Did you think that this was possible? Check this out. I just blew your mind. I love it. I came across that this week, and I am still pretty impressed with myself that I was able to do that today. So uh, you're welcome. That's pretty cool. You change the rules, and you can do all kinds of things, right? And that's what God does. He pushes us beyond what we even think is possible. And Jesus didn't just seek to get this man or us out of our comfy box. He wants us to take huge steps and get bigger boxes. He doesn't want us to return to our old ways of thinking. Everything that we face, God wants us to grow in how we see him and expand our view of God over and over and over again because he is that big. We cannot exhaust him. We have to find a bigger box. We have to because Jesus will push us. He always will push you because you can always have a bigger box for God. And that's exactly what he does here. Even though this man has taken so many steps, he says, I want to push you even further, Mr. Government Official. Verse 51, while the man was on his way home, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. And he asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. We can't explain it. It just disappeared at one o'clock. Exactly. He was really sick. And then bam, he was totally healed. Then the father realized that was the very same time that Jesus had said, your son will live. In that instant, Jesus healed the son. And so he and his entire household believed in Jesus. And this was the second miraculous sign that Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. You see, it blows my mind because Jesus is so much bigger than I could ever think. He's so much smarter. He can solve problems that there is no way we could figure that out. We know he's a genius. We know he is God. But he did exactly what every single person in this story needed to push their faith. Did you realize that? That's fascinating. Not just the official, but everyone else who was looking on him and around. Did you notice that he quieted the fervor for the signs and miracles and the wonders that that crowd was begging for? They just wanted him to do stuff so that they could see it. He didn't give it to them. The people who wanted Jesus to be a pawn in their political game, he did not have any of it. He's pushing them. And this official who thought very highly of Jesus, he thought, I'm going to take his faith to the next level. And he did just that. He stretched everyone's faith. He smashed all of their preconceived notions, and he knew that there was more space for them to trust him. And on top of that, Jesus demonstrated that he wasn't just a prophet predicting stuff. He didn't just have a great prediction when he talked to that man. You know, you should go home because I'm pretty sure your son's going to get better by the time you get home. That's not what he did. Jesus demonstrated this is not a coincidence. 
He didn't just happen to get better. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Jesus was there. He was there, like, talking to the official and all these crowds, but he was, like, there healing the son in the moment, in the instant. I didn't know you could do that. Jesus can do that. He healed the boy. And yes, this is a miracle of healing, but John is telling us over and over and over again as we look at all the miracles that John highlights, not only are these amazing miracles, but he says these are signs. What are they signs of? They are signs pointing to God. They're signs pointing to Jesus, telling us things about Jesus that expand our box of who God is. And this sign says that God is with you. He is with you no matter what you're going through. He's with you if you're going through a crisis like this man and his son. He is with you. He is with you no matter who you are. If you're despised by the culture around you like this man, he is with you. He is with you no matter your faith background. If you have a big faith or a small faith, that he wants to take that faith to the next level. He is with you in that journey. He is with you no matter what you've done. If you have done crimes against humanity like this official potentially has, if you've killed his cousin or you tried to kill him, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that you could have done in your past that will eliminate you from this promise that God is with you. That is amazing. That is unbelievable that these miracles that Jesus did almost in secret does all of this, and when we come to these passages, we look at God, and we should go, wow, my view of God just got bigger. My box, I need to find a bigger box for me, because I am reading what God is saying and the things that he has done today. Because there's nothing outside of his control. There's nothing outside of his care. If you can't see him, he's with you. He's there. If you don't understand him today, he's with you. If this is the first time you've ever heard anybody talk about Jesus in a way that you can understand, that's okay. He is with you. If this is the 30,000th time you've heard a message about Jesus or even this passage, it's okay. He is with you. And you know what God wants to do with you today? He wants to take your faith and he wants it to get bigger because there's room. There is always room in your life for more confidence in Jesus. There's always room for more. And that's what he's telling me today. No matter what I'm facing, there's a little more confidence left. I can shove one more thing in that Christmas present box. I can get more in that box that is bigger. There is room for me to see God for who he is. And if I do, it is going to get bigger, no matter who we are. And if that sounds easy today, or if that sounds very hard today, you are correct. You are correct because Jesus will push you Again, remember the purpose of this whole book that John wrote. He tells us, John 20, 31, he says, These things, these things are written so that you and you 
and you and you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John wrote these things so that you may continue to believe, not do it one time, not get on a stage and declare that's something that you did. Yes, you should do that, but it's for you to continue to do it. And if you're going to continue to believe, our view of God has to continue to grow and we have to continue to watch Jesus and understand that he's going to push us and use the things that are hard to stretch that faith. Now, here's the thing. You are not bad if you put God in a box. You know what that makes you? It makes you a human. <laughs> I have a box. It's like right here. I can only fit so much stuff in it. <laughs> and God's like infinite. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to have a box. The challenge today isn't have the perfect view of God. That's impossible. We can't do it, but we can't have a bigger view of God. And it doesn't matter how mature you are, how long you've been a Christian, you will and should have a growing view of God. That is the challenge because yes, we have a limitation, but we serve a God who has no limitations. Even when we don't deserve it at all, he loves us and he tracks us down and he chases us. I cannot get over this, <laughs> that this official worked for Herod. I cannot get over that to this week. As I'm reading this story, he did not deserve anything. He deserved less than anything from Jesus. He killed his cousin or participated in that in some way. He doesn't deserve a thing, but Jesus loves him. Jesus is like, I'm going to expand. I'm going to blow your mind with who I am because that's who God is. See, we have faith. And I would say quite often we have human faith. And by human faith, I mean it's faith that we gain. We still have trust and we believe in things, but it's based on experience. And by that, I mean, like if you go to a restaurant and you are going to eat what's in front of you, what's served in front of you, what you ordered. Did, do you know the cook who made your food? Probably not. Did you go back and inspect the kitchen to see if it was like clean enough according to your standards? Probably not. Did you follow the server and make sure they didn't like sneeze or something on your food? I'm sorry if I just ruined your lunch today, but you eat it. Why? Because you're a normal person, okay? You're a normal person who eats the food in front of you at a restaurant because you have faith, because of your experience, this is, this is okay. It's going to be fine. I'm going to eat this. It's good. I'm great, okay? You have faith. You have all kinds of experiences bringing to bear on a simple thing like that. Now, the tricky thing is in life, we face experiences that we never have before. God calls us to have faith in situations that we've never faced before. Like, have faith in Jesus after you die, 
Has anyone been to heaven and come back? And you have that experience to share with us? <laughs> no. No. We need a supernatural faith. We need a faith that blows out all explanations. It's not like our human faith. It's something that only God can give us. God gave this man faith to trust in him, and he used it. And God gives us faith to believe in him for things like our eternity. God gives us faith when we face situations like this official, when our children are sick and ill, and other people look on and they think, I could never go through that. And we can have supernatural faith in situations. We can. And so what is going on in your life that's causing you the most stress, that's pushing you the hardest right now? What's giving you the most worry? What's giving you the most anxiety? What's pushing you to that limit? God wants to use that. He wants you to find a bigger box for him. And he wants to use those things, whatever those things are, if they're broken relationships, if they're situations, if there's decisions that you're facing, if there's financial stuff that you're facing, if it's with your kids or your grandkids or about your future or whatever it is, he wants to use those things. And if you want to have a bold faith like this official, one that constantly grows, we're going to have to ask God because it doesn't come from inside here. We're going to have to ask God to give us that faith, because this is a sign showing us that God is always with us, and he always wants us to grow that faith, and he will do it. So as you go today, I bet you fit in one of two categories. When I ask you, what is that situation that is pushing you to the limit? You either have something in your mind right now. You didn't need me to help you think of it. You already know what that is. My challenge for you is to pray for the faith that God would give you that your faith would grow. There's no promises that it will turn out a certain way. We do not know. But I do know that God wants to use it. So that's one of you. The other category that you fit in is maybe you're like, yeah, I, I can't think of anything. I'm not going through a crisis right now. And this is what we want for you. We talk a lot about living a rooted lifestyle here at White River. And that's because if you're not going through a crisis, God has given us things, spiritual disciplines. We call them seven rhythms of a life with Jesus. When you do those, you're kind of forcing yourself to have faith in ways. You're stretching yourself in new ways because I don't really feel like getting up really early and praying. I don't really feel like serving when I'm tired. I don't feel like talking to other people about my sin and repenting. I don't feel like doing those things, but man, it really pushes me. And so you're either in one of those two things, but God can give you the faith that you need today because whatever those things are, Jesus is going to work. He's going to push you. He's going to help you get a much bigger box because you didn't need that old box anyways. God is too big. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the power of your word today. We thank you that it can speak powerfully and clearly to each one of us. May you encourage those of us today that needed to hear that you are with us 
May you challenge those of us today that need to be stretched in our faith. And maybe we've been sitting in the same place for many years. Help us stretch our faith today because you tell us there is always room. We know there is. Use all the things in our life to help make us more like you, Jesus, and to see you more clearly. In your name, amen.